the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. So excited to have David Kroll from Church Home on with me today. And if you are wondering what's next in church, you came to the right place. We're going to talk about moving beyond the mega church model, what Church Home is learning about reaching Gen Z and millennials, and why ministry is the most challenging learning environment, period. Hey, so glad you joined us. Today's episode is brought to you by Rethink Leadership. Make plans now to join me and hundreds of leaders like you. We're gathering in Atlanta, April 26th to 28th for the Rethink Conference. Get more info and go to rethinkleadership.com. Use the code CARRY23 to get absolute best pricing. And by ServeHQ, every leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is mission critical. To help solve the volunteer challenge at your church, go to servehq.church. So David Kroll is the CEO of Church Home. You're like, wait, 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 what? A church has a CEO? We actually talk about that and uh, I love his explanation for why. If you're like, hate it already, you, you better listen because it's fascinating. He is the CEO for Church Home. Prior to stepping into the CEO role at Church Home, David began his career with an investment banking, wealth management, and technology, and has served in a variety of roles within Church Home. And what was really cool, of course, we record these interviews uh, well in advance, but I had not yet met Judah or Chelsea Smith, the lead pastors of Church Home. And after I recorded this and before it aired, I had dinner with them. It was great. So I hope to have them on the show as well. Uh, They're doing some really, really fascinating things. So anyway, as a senior pastor, you probably, or maybe you're an executive pastor, teaching pastor, campus pastor, you get a list of questions keeping you up at night. You're looking for answers to a growing list of new challenges. That's why I'm inviting you to Rethink Leadership. It's a conference unlike any others because we're going to do a few things. Number one, gather world-class leaders from inside and outside the church. You will learn from Horst Schultze. He will be there in person. He is is the former president and COO of the Ritz-Carlton. Rich Velotis is going to be there, Katie Cole, Albert Tate, myself, and many others. It's going to be a pretty incredible speaker lineup, but it's also a small event. So there's going to be a lot of interaction with the speakers. Uh, you're seated around round tables, not rows, so you're engaging with your team or other teams, and uh, some of the brightest minds in the church are there. We're featuring breakout speakers who will give practical solutions to the most pressing issues you're facing, all happening in Atlanta, April. April 26th to 28th, we have got you a deal when you use the coupon code CARRY23 for the absolute best pricing. Not available anywhere else. You can get more info and register today at rethinkleadership.com. Use the code CARRY23 for special pricing. And speaking of church leaders, every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is absolutely mission critical. But you also know how tricky it is to onboard people, especially these days. And a lot of churches, even though attendance is coming back, are struggling with volunteers. So check out ServeHQ. It has a very simple video training course system that helps you equip your volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their extensive video library. 
Plus, they've also got follow-up quizzes so that you can make sure you have incredibly well-trained and equipped volunteers. It's super simple, super comprehensive. Think of it as a one-stop hub for how you communicate with your volunteers. So go to servehq.church to learn more and help solve the volunteer challenge that so many churches are going through. That's servehq.church. So with all that said, I am very excited to dive into this conversation with David Kroll. And by the way, I know there's a lot of business leaders listening to. This is why you are so essential to the future of the church. Uh, I really love business leaders who learn from church leaders and church leaders from business leaders. David fuses the best of both worlds. And here is my fascinating conversation with David Kroll, the CEO of Church Home. David, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Good to be on and uh, functional with our technology. Yeah, I know. My goodness. We're talking about tech and church online, and it took us 45 minutes to get rolling, right? Isn't it? It's true. Like even at Church Home, you're the CEO, and so it happens to all of us. And like, you know, I don't know where we normally record Riverside just wasn't working today for whatever reason. So I went to set up a Zoom call. And then I wasn't the host because someone else set it up, so I couldn't record. And then I set up my own, and it's like, you're, you're texting me going, I need a passcode. I'm like, where, where, where? I don't know. It didn't ask me about a passcode. So I had to call my former EA. It's like, uh, where do you find these things on Zoom? So if we're going to talk about church technology and hybrid church and church online, just know we're all still figuring stuff out. Is that fair? in the same boat, no doubt. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. Do you ever have like a complete technical meltdown at church home on a Sunday morning, like in the last five years where like the power goes out or we had it at our church, biggest Sunday ever. And the network goes down 30 minutes before the first service. Like the whole internet just died. And of course you can't run music without it. You can't run online without it. You can't run anything without it. We almost pulled out the candles. And I feel so bad for the people who are in charge um, oh. at that moment because, you know, the amount of, do you know what's happening? What's going on? And at the end of the day, we're all subject to, you know, the same technologies that, you know, they are flawed. They do have issues and sometimes they just straight break. So, so we're going to go straight back to analog church, just a couple of people gathering in caves, worshiping, yeah. right? Full reversion. Okay, great. Well, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. See you, see you next time. Emotionally, that's where uh, I might be right now, but we're not going to talk about that today. It's a uh, fun intro. And of course, obviously, without the internet, we don't have a podcast. We can't do this thing. You and I can't talk. And you guys have the incredible privilege of reaching hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people online with the message of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about. So welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. <laughs> so am I. So David, let's back up. Before you joined Church Home, eventually becoming CEO, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, you were in investment banking, wealth management, and technology. What did you learn in the business world that has helped you in the church world? Uh, great question. And honestly, Carrie, one I've been trying to figure out the answer to since um, I began this very nonlinear journey of my uh, really walking out as far as vocationally, what my, my calling and my walk with Jesus, yeah. which, you know, 
I came to know Jesus when I was 17 years old. I was Jewish, um, grew up in a Jewish home and first heard the message of Jesus through the ministry of Young Life, transformed me forever. Mm -hmm. And my my life really became nonlinear at that point. Um, And I really felt like my purpose as far as vocation and work was to make money, to give to organizations like the church, Young Life, and then Mm -hmm. to serve up my time. And so I was on that journey for, um, you know, a, a decade, a little more than a decade, and uh, until God really pivoted my my vocation. But um, yeah, I was in investment banking. Um, so obviously now in my role as CEO, you can think of things like financial analytics, which I was an investment banker, but I was doing institutional equity sales. So it was my job to be an expert on about 450 different small to mid cap companies um, and to know enough to be dangerous and to know when to buy and sell those equities and advise hedge funds on when to do that. So, um, you know, as you could imagine, the way that would parlay into running any type of a business or organization that has money, right, which is every single one. Um, And, you know, as we chatted about previously, you know, one of the top reasons for churches um, shutting their doors is financial insolvency. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just off the bat, obviously, some of the skills that that I learned through all of those things have definitely been beneficial and helpful within this role. But over all of them, I would say the diversity of interactions I've had with different human beings um, across different subject matter, um, different types, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what you do, you can, in 2023, you can learn any skill set mm-hmm. pretty easily through books, podcasts, Googling, YouTubing. Um, it's amazing what you can learn and how dangerous you can become. Uh, if you just have the desire to learn, but at the end of the day, it's applying what you learn um, with other humans. And so um, I would say with any of us, that has been the most valuable thing that I've learned along my journey is, is how to work with people. And so doing it across different spectrums uh, that may not sound like the you know mm-hmm. obvious answer, but really I would say my experiences and learning how to work with people has been uh, by far what's been most valuable. What are the commonalities and what are the differences in leading, working with people in the business world versus the church world? I'm always fascinated by the answer to that question. Well, we, we, we get the incredible honor to do what we're most passionate about as Jesus followers, right? Which is to have this, this beautiful marriage in between um, where we get to spend the majority of our time as, 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 as human beings who are in the workplace, right? Which is um, at, at work. Now, I believe, by the way, we're all in ministry, no matter what our vocation is. So um, whether you're in the business place like I was for a decade or whether you're working within a church context, we're, we're all in ministry, right? So I think sometimes we can get that mixed up. Um, so that's you know starting place number one. But mm-hmm. um, I honestly believe there are dynamics that make working in vocational ministry easily um, the most challenging work environment out there. The marriage oh, wow. in, in between... Um, it can be the most rewarding, but also the most challenging and most difficult. Uh, the emotional spectrum is just a different, um, it's a different scale, right? The emotion with which somebody has, this isn't just a, you know, church home isn't just a place of work for me. It's my community. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I have a, a a position on a team that actually works, um, at church home, but I'm also a member of the community and whether I'm, whether I'm on the team or off the team, I'm a part of the community. Right. And so that can lead to a lot of different um, dynamics in the home. My, my, my wife is not on staff at church home. We, we made that agreement that that is just not, there's a lot of <laughs> couples that do that and God bless them. But for us, we're like, listen, we know what our capacity and marriage limits are. And, and that just does not work for our, for our household. Um, and so, you know, but my, my wife is still a member of this community. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I come home from my, my 
for my role on the team and we're both community members, but then I have to, you know, I listen to the way things impact her as a community member and that adds a dynamic and then all my friends and um, it's just a very interesting, unique environment. So, you know, I take a look at people who are, um, I have friends who were CEOs of, of, of companies and leading organizations that are um, similar size to church home or other, you know, kind of in the, in the relative realm. And um, it's not easy, but I would take the challenges that they have any day over um, some of the challenges that we have now, the, the reason why we do this isn't because, you know, we're doing this for our own gain. This is calling, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I believe, uh, I believe in calling and, and I, I truly feel called to do what I'm doing today. Um, if I didn't, uh, there's a lot easier routes I could take. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely felt that tension that you're leading a community that you're a part of, which, you know, we could, we could spend the rest of our time together unpacking. What, what were some of the other challenges or are some of the other challenges that you think makes church leadership complex, more complex than perhaps working at an investment banking firm? There's just, there's a spiritual environment. Um, and, you know, I realized that probably the majority of people listening to this are Jesus followers um, and therefore recognize the fact that, you know, our battle is not flesh and blood. It's mm. not. And um, it becomes very real when you yeah. serve in a capacity um, where you're making headway in a direction that we do have an enemy. And, and if you're making headway in a direction that that enemy does not want you to head in, you will feel opposition, um, unlike you would feel in a, a workplace that's making um, headway within the PL, let's say, right? Let's say mm-hmm. you work at, you know, you work at Google and you guys are in, in charge of a project and that project is being successful. Um, it's unlikely that you're going to face spiritual headwinds due to your success um, or progress. Um, I can almost guarantee the the opposite within a church context. So that right there is not small. It's not minute. It's significant. And the weight that church leaders carry is is incredible. And the margin for error is also, um, you know, is smaller and with greater punishment. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about that spiritual resistance for a moment. Because I think I agree with C.S. Lewis, I think it was C.S. Lewis, who said, you know, the challenge is in Christianity, everything is a spiritual battle or nothing is a spiritual battle. So on the one hand, you know, the fact that our technology didn't work today, or at least not work easily, might have been like, oh, you know, well, the forces of evil are against this podcast. That's the devil. That's the devil. Right. On the other hand, there's some people who, despite incredible headwinds, are like, yeah, that stuff isn't real. I, I am somewhere in the middle. I, I would love to know even how you discern when you think perhaps you're, I have my own theory but that I use in my own life, but how do you discern whether something may in fact have a spiritual headwind component to it? Yeah. Well, I think the, the first is the fact that we can't always play a victim, right? We have to be willing mm-hmm. to take responsibility mm-hmm. for things. Right. And I think, right. uh, I think the prior of what you said is everything's spiritual. You're like, okay, well, are, are, are you, are you humble enough to realize that maybe you misstepped and the headwind that you're facing um, is, is, is based off of something that you place an obstacle that there that's very realistic. Right. So. Gary, yeah. um, maybe you should learn how to set up a zoom call. Okay. Right, like, like relying on your team to do it every time. Yeah, like I didn't have the right version of Chrome on my browser, right? And then my right. computer just didn't want to put it on there, right? So that's uh-huh. you know that that's on me, right? Yeah, that it, this was on me. Yep. Right. Right. So so we we will share responsibility. Okay, it's not all sure, sure. But but you know, I, I'm I'm on the same spectrum as you. To be honest, I'm not an over um, overly. Um, I don't like to overly spiritualize things that are not 
inherently spiritual. But I will say when you start to make forward progress and the types of things that will, that you will encounter, um, things that you never thought you would encounter. Um, and then you take a look at scripture and they match up to attributes and qualities of the enemy on a very consistent basis, right? Um, spirits of accusation, spirits of, um, and like I said, you know, no matter what it is, I, I first, you know, I, I don't jump to spiritual attack first, right? I, I, I jump in and I get involved with some of these things, but it's a sheer volume of some of the things that you will encounter. You're like, listen, this is kind of wild. Um, and I did not expect that, you know, I, you know, step before stepping into this role, um, really talking to Judah and Chelsea around what their experience was like within, um, you know, leading it at, at, a, at a higher level, right? Really being responsible for, in essence, almost everything that happens within a community, right? It's a very significant burden. Um, but man, some of the ways in which um, things get thrown at you, you just don't expect. So I don't have a clear answer on how you discern that. I think mm. uh, a lot of that is in between you and Jesus um, yeah. and, and, and you and some counsel and some other people and say, hey, here's some things going on. But my biggest encouragement for those who is, is just know where you stand on the spectrum. Uh, if you're somebody who typically says, oh my gosh, this is spiritual attack. Well, maybe you need to take a step back. Maybe, maybe it is, um, but maybe it isn't. And are you mm-hmm. willing to be humble and realize, okay, maybe I did something wrong here. Am I willing to assess um, our postmortem and, and say, hey, is there something that I need to change? I need to shift. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, don't be somebody who's, you know, so quickly willing to um to dismiss the spiritual because this is a very real battle either we believe scripture um or we don't and if we're scripture believing people we do know that there's an enemy that wants to um and he's very sneaky i will say in the ways that it comes about it's not mm-hmm. obvious i wish it was more obvious so I'll bounce this off you see if it resonates at all and then we can move on but yeah i'm with you i always believed it because it was in the scripture oh yeah there must be you know principalities and powers when i got into ministry i experienced it and the best explanation i've heard is exhaust all the natural explanations. You know, maybe your computer does actually need Chrome and a reboot, right? So, okay, that's fine. Or learn how to set up a Zoom call or um, have you owned everything you can own about what went awry in the relationship. So exhaust all the natural explanations. And if you still have significant headwinds, it might be supernatural. Rather than jumping to the supernatural, it's okay, what's on me? What can I own? What can I do? And you're prayerful about it, but how can I fix it? And then if none of that solves it, hmm, we may be into spiritual interference here. I don't know. Does that resonate at all? It it totally does. And you said that much more eloquently than I did. Uh, One thing I would add is I think even if it's spiritual, there's still something to be learned. And that's that's the key, right? Even if it's spiritual attack, I still think we can learn. I think we're really good at being... Um, gentle as a dove, but scripture also mm. talks about being wise as a serpent. And I think that's where a, a lot of, uh, a lot of us are uh, in needing of some improvement is, is how do we take every opportunity before us, no matter if it's a failure, if it's a challenge, if it's an obstacle and what can we learn from it? It doesn't matter if it's spiritual attack, we can still learn from that experience. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you were telling me at one point that you came to faith a little bit later in life, like as a teenager, not as a child. So were you raised in any faith environment at all or not so much? Yeah. So I was raised Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it was a, it was a, you know, the only two things I knew about Jesus prior to, um, you know, beginning a relationship with him was that I was not supposed to believe in him and <laughs> that we use his name as a cuss word. That was about it. Ah, 
That's that it. was the ex- extent of my Jesus knowledge until age 17. Wow. And then it was a young life where you got involved and came to a very different understanding. Um, but, you know, it's funny talking about headwinds. You started in banking in 2008. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk about really, headwinds, the Great Recession. As Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers were shutting their doors, um, I very miraculously actually um, ended up getting a role as a 21-year-old right out of college that, um, for all intents and purposes, I should not have had. But, um, right. man, am I thankful for. And it was a fire. It was not easy. Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, it was a, it was definitely, um, a challenging trying season in my life where there was so much anxiety, so much, you know, you know, those stomach butterflies that aren't good, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that it, mm-hmm. those were constantly with me because I'm calling on these hedge fund, uh, as a 21 year old calling on hedge fund managers, managing $8 billion, telling them what to buy and what to sell. Um, and you know, the, the imposter syndrome that goes on in your mind at that point is, is pretty significant. Right. And then the, oh my gosh, when you see a trade for a hundred million dollars come across the desk, when somebody's doing what you told them to do, you're like, uh, okay, I hope this works out well. Cause you just put a hundred million dollars on my word. So it was a pretty wild journey, but, um, yeah, bapt- baptism by fire for sure. What did, cause I think back on my brief time in law and I still remember what I saw, uh, after graduating law school and and working downtown in Toronto for a year, what did you see in the financial community in terms of dynamics, spiritual hunger, um, ministry opportunities? Like what was the culture like? What was the level of fulfillment, contentment, happiness like in the industry that you were part of? Have you ever read the book Liar's Poker? I have not, no. It's a great book. Um, if if you if you ever read it, it's pretty much parallels my my journey as an investment banker um, in really? a lot of ways. There is, is that a movie as well? Yeah, they did make a movie. Um, I don't know if it was called the same as the book, but um, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is very. You know, I didn't watch the most recent one. There was an original yeah. one. Um, but anyway, Liars Poker. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know. The short answer is, is it's not a very fulfilled environment. Um, mm. You know, I saw a lot of guys making a ton of money at a very young mm-hmm. age and they're about the most dissatisfied and um, empty and unfulfilled um, as, as I've seen anybody. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was very much a party culture um, of, of get out there, go drink and party with your clients. And, um, you know, I was on a uh, taking private aviation very frequently because our investment bank mm-hmm. had several private planes. And so you're, you're there and you're going out to these nice steak dinners every night and you would get really sick of steak and lobster and, and private jets, which sounds very pretentious, I understand, but that's this, that's this world. It's this whole, mm-hmm. um, that's why I couldn't last there for very long. Um, after two years, I realized if I stayed there, my soul was slowly starting to die based mm-hmm. off of the environment I was in. I could, I could last there for a little bit, but um, it was not where I was purposed to be long-term. So yeah, it was not a positive environment for me. Um, a lot of a lot of anxiety and uh, not a lot of support. Um, you're really out on an island on your own, so you learn a lot about yourself. But um, it was not a sustainable one for me. Yeah, you know, minus the private jets, a very similar dynamic in law in Toronto in the '90s that I saw. Just lots of money, high dissatisfaction, high conflict, a lot of personal breakdown. We have Mark Schultz on the podcast this year from. Uh, the happiness study, the longest longitudinal study in the world. And the data on that from Harvard would back up exactly what you saw and what I saw, that 
Success is a trap. It's a trap. So you end up, and I got to say, trigger warning, CEO of a church. So, you know, usually, and I want to, I want to at least spend a minute or two on why the title CEO, I get it. Church home is huge, but most churches wouldn't go there. They'd call it uh, executive pastor, you know, executive director, that kind of thing. Can you tell me why the title CEO and what it entails? I mean, first of all, I'm very appreciative that you even asked the question Um, because I don't think a lot of people ask the question. I think they make assumptions. Um, And when I say people, I'm talking about people within the church. Okay. Um, Because to, uh, I I could go off on a, on a, on a, on a little monologue on this and I, and I won't. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've run into this. No, no. But but listen, first of all, I also understand the visceral reaction, right? Sure, Um, sure, sure. All of a sudden, if you put pastor in front of anything, everybody in the church is fine with it, right? Um, so if you if if you dig under the hood, um, there's a lot of things that are different. First of all, um, you know, I would say, you know, you could most similarly parallel my role to an executive pastor in a lot of ways, sure, right? Sure. And all of a sudden, if you don't change a single function about what I do, but you call it an executive pastor, people in the church are totally fine with it. Yeah, it's great. Um, right? Oh, exec- totally. It's great, right? It's because there's a comfortable place to, to associate what we associate this role with in a, in a lot of communities. Um, but from an organizational standpoint, um, you know, there would be lead pastor, um, executive pastor, and then down, down, down the right, right? But um, Judah, Chelsea, and I, with it, the, the entire structure of church home is, is um, I would say, different than a lot of communities. And the fact that Judah, Chelsea, and I actually have equal authority and are three parts in one team. So there's not a lead oh, pastor. Cool. Um, and we've, we very, you know, that's been the way we function, but we've actually formalized that and our board formalized that recently. So hmm. um, Judah's title is not lead pastor anymore and neither is Chelsea. What is it? So he's lead communicator. Ah. Yeah. Chelsea is, um, lead theologian and, and mind you, they might, we have, I, I need to fact check myself on these titles, but, um, that's it, right. Cause it's, we, so we can correct it in the show notes. No problem. We, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the three of us function as an equal team, right? So I don't report to Judah and Chelsea, but Judah, Chelsea, myself, we all report to our board of directors, um, which is our spirit. And, and also we have a, uh, it's called a, a lead pastor council. So really bringing spiritual accountability to us as a team as well. So, um, that would be, I would say the first nuance difference. The second is, is the fact if you take a look at the functions of my role and the fact that we really are a church that's reaching predominantly the, the unchurched in our church community, you get a lot more questions around what an executive pastor does versus what a CEO does. <laughs> okay. That wins the internet today. That's fantastic. It's it's just it, it's really true. And so, in our church community, when we introduce you know ourselves to people, the people learn that I'm the CEO. There's no like, oh, what do you do? They know exactly what a CEO does, <laughs> right? Um, but it's, but and it's, and and also, you know, when we're, we we are interacting with a lot of people who are not predominantly within the church community across many different spectrums. So. Um, the irony is the only place that I get questions is from within the church community. Um, and honestly, I don't typically get questions. I typically get assumptions. So, (laughs) well, I knew there was a back, I didn't know the backstory. I figured there was a backstory, David, and I figured it was a good one. And I'll go on record as saying the truth is most executive pastors of churches of over a thousand in attendance effectively function as CEOs or COO for sure they do. And whatever title you want to put on it, 
all you're doing is caring for the body. And that doesn't include the greed or the private jets or this or that or the other thing. But what it does include is responsibility for the operations because there's a level of complexity to leading anything large that requires direction. Otherwise, it follows falls apart. So I don't, I don't have any problem with it at all. I was just curious. No, and, no totally. And, and, and I knew it was a trigger. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but honestly, I think, um, you know, where there's triggers, I think the church needs to ask more questions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of our fatal flaws is that we can make a lot mm -hmm. of assumptions, which is exactly what we see in culture and in modern mainstream uh, across different people groups or somebody throws a title out um, in, in any direction. And all of a sudden we have a place to put it and we know what we believe about it. Right. Um, but I would say one of the biggest misconceptions about a CEO, um, right, like me specifically in a church context, is that somehow my role is somehow not spiritual, that it's all business and I'm hmm. you know, running the church like a business. Well, first of all, there are elements of every single church that should run like a business um, because we want to bring the top level of stewardship to everything that we do as Jesus followers. So if we're not stewarding um, our finances in this in the best manner possible in accordance with the best policies possible, which is typically what we see within the most healthy businesses. Um, you know, then we're we're missing out on a way to steward our finances in a way that's pleasing to God. So, um, you know, but th these roles are inherently spiritual. Whatever title we put on them, at the end of the day, like we said before, um, this is all you know, not a battle against flesh and blood. Yeah. And, and your insight about unchurched people understand the title a lot better than executive pastor. I'm like, all right, that, that wins. That's great. Uh, what are the skills and qualities? Cause I agree, even if you're in a small church and your treasurer's on the take and QuickBooks and the books don't add up, you have a big issue. Like you need to run things well and responsibly and transparently when you're leading a church. So what are the skills and qualities you think a senior or operational leader of a large church needs to make sure that you operate in effectively and with integrity? It's a great question. You know, I think a lot of it is knowing what you don't know mm -hmm. and being willing to go find experts in any and every area that you are not one. I would start there. Um, mm -hmm. So when, when I stepped into this role, I had never been a CEO before, right? Um, I had experience across many different spectrums, but I had never led in this capacity um, within an organization of this size. So for all intensive purposes, I was underqualified at best, uh, but most likely unqualified. So, you know, it, it even though even though I was selected for the role and there was a whole process with with quite a few candidates and and you know search firms and the whole thing, it, it, it still you know was uncharted territory for me. So step one is realizing, okay, I'm I'm pretty sure I have a clear understanding of where I can provide some low hanging fruit value day one, mm -hmm. um, but then there's a lot of things where I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you are supposed to be an expert in everything and forcing yourself to um, either try to become one when you don't have enough time um, or leaning on a weakness, which you can lean on somebody else's strength. So number one is, is you know, being the leader is, is not being the know-it-all, as you know. Um, it's not being the expert in the room, but it's knowing mm -hmm. how to call upon the experts in the room and it's being willing to listen, being willing to lead, and being willing to drive clarity. I would say that's the greatest thing that I bring to our organization is clarity. Um, mm. And that's the way that God wired me. Uh, I, I've, I've, I do possess the gift of discernment um, and I can bring clarity to things in a very quick manner where, you know, church can typically very, be very high vision, right? We love to talk about vision 
Um, but when it comes to actually making that vision reality, I think that's where we can fall short. So bringing clarity, uh, bringing accountability is a, is a really significant component because we want to love each other, but a big component of love is ensuring that we are actually doing what we say we're going to do. Um, so those are definitely a couple areas that um, I think are are key to somebody within my role. And then once again, it goes back to being able to um, to work with people, to have grace, to have empathy, um, to be equal parts spiritual, um, and ensure that we're leading in a manner that is um, honoring to our community and that we're is working to fulfill the vision. And I'll, I think there's also a, a, a bit of um, thick skin that you need. And a part of that is something that, that you just develop over time. Um, but you are going to develop it very quickly in a church context. And I know there's a lot of church leaders that are listening to this right now that are saying, I know exactly what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, we don't typically um, have the mindset of being friendly to our own. There's a lot of friendly fire in Christianity um, from outside of our own communities and inside our own communities. But um, you have to be able to develop that um you know, and you want to keep a soft heart, but have thick skin. And I think Hmm. that's, you know, that's the balancing act that I'm constantly trying to figure out, you know, every day of my life. How, how have you Judah and Chelsea handled, because you've had your fair share of critics come along over the years, you know, high profile church, reaching tons of people, um, celebrity friends, et cetera, et cetera. How do you process the criticism that comes your way, whether that's online or in person? Yeah. I I think it goes back to a lot of what we said around, um, you know, first we want to lead with humility. And so Mm. any type of critique or criticism that makes itself, um, you know, present to me, whether it means I I end up reading it, seeing it, hearing about it somehow, um, it's not to do the visceral defensive reaction, right? Which is the way I'm hardwired is just to, you know, no, that's not true. Dismiss it. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's okay. Let me hear that. Let me listen to that. Let me, let me contend with that. Let me see if there's a validity there. Um, and if there is, okay, that might be great feedback. Right. Um, like for example, when there was, you know, preachers and sneakers, right. That was a, a yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> we almost went there. Right. That had its day. Right. But yeah. you know, I, I'm like, these guys aren't wrong. Right. They're not. Mm. Right. It's like, listen, like we're, there is a inordinate amount of pastors wearing stuff that's like, listen, they're not wrong. Like we're so, you know, are we willing to sit there and assess that? And listen, if you're assessing that and saying, but that's the way I want to dress and, you know, whether that heat comes or not, that's just who I am. God bless you. You know, and mm-hmm. some people I think were like, eh, they're right. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to maybe be more considerate around the way that I present myself to my church community. Um, you know, I, th- I think that would be an example of, okay, how do we, how do we take criticism and determine, is there any validity here? But a lot of it does come back to a, a lot of it's noise. Um, and a lot of it mm-hmm. is, you know, in 2023 is clickbait or people who, um, you know, don't have an understanding and aren't seeking to have an understanding. Um, a lot of, a lot of journalism out there is very one-sided. Um, and we just got to, at the end of the day, remind ourselves of why are we doing this? Um, why do we wake up in the morning? Why do I come into work? And why do I work for church home? Why does church home exist? Well, we exist to do our best to tell the story of Jesus to the world, to create community and connection using any and every mechanism that we possibly can to reach human beings with the love and the grace and the forgiveness that comes only through the person of Jesus. So we're going to do everything we can to do that. And so uh, we know that when we do that, there's going to be um, opposition 
And, you know, we, we just continue to move forward one step at a time. Yeah, I think we're working on having Judah on the podcast this year, which would be great. And I'd love to ask him this question, but how do you know, like, is there a line or a semi-reliable guide to when you listen? Or I think, how did you phrase it? You said, you know, oh, we should be more considerate about our audience or what we say or what we do. Is there, is it case by case or is there a particular framework you use to determine when you let it roll off your back, ignore it, or when you go, you know what, they're right. Like we need to, we need to pay attention to this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is you take a look at who we're, we're trying to reach the unchurched, right? Mm -hmm. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that we're not a church for people to come, a church for people to come to that love Jesus. And we are, and we are very much a faith community that is uh, alive and vibrant and feeding people Mm -hmm. who love Jesus to help grow in their faith, grow in connection and community. Um, But we are, Un, undoubtedly, you know, and unashamedly focused on reaching individuals who are yet to know the love and the saving grace of Jesus. And when you take a look at the early church, I mean, that was the, what, what the church, that's how we all started. That's our roots. That's where, that's what Jesus called us to do. Um, so in doing that, that is our filter in a lot of different ways is, are we succeeding at reaching people who are unchurched? Um, I think a lot of the PR of the church in the ways that we're perceived or kind of what you're talking about, right. Which would be things people would say against us or criticism. Um, I think we have to pick who we're going to lose with. Um, you know, mm. are we willing to, for us? We, we would, um, we're not going to lose with those who have yet to come and know the saving grace of Jesus. That does not mean we compromise our biblical integrity. That does not mean that we compromise who we are as Jesus followers to please individuals who aren't, but it does mean that there's some really foolish things and missteps that we can take around our verbiage, around the way that we are set up, around the way that we orient our services, around the way that we orient our community that can either be um, benefiting that cause or not. Um, And so when it comes to critiques and criticism, same thing. It's like, okay, is this a critique and a criticism that's coming, you know, as a church preference, or is this coming from a lens of, oh my gosh, they may be right. We may not be successful Mm -hmm. at reaching who we're trying to reach. Boy, that's such a good frame. You know, I kind of had my (laughs) life flash before my eyes for a second when you said, pick who you're going to lose with. I think you're right. And it's only heightened in the last five years, but yeah, you're not going to win with every group every time. It doesn't matter who you are. So you got to pick who you're going to lose with. And hopefully, you know, I share your heart for unchurched people. Like, yeah, let's go there. All right. We want to talk about, um, we've all been through what we've been through over the last four or five years together. It's been a crazy turbulent time. Can you describe your ministry model? I think it was Lifeway Research showed 29% of churches were not online in 2019 and 90% are online. You guys have been pioneers at Church Home in that for a long, long time. Can you describe your ministry model and approach heading into 2020 and then what it looks like today and how it's morphed? So you, you may not believe this, but we actually, um, as a staff, had a thematic, we have thematic goals that we're trying to mm-hmm. achieve. So mm-hmm. our thematic goal was to pivot to church at home by March of 2020. <laughs> and, and you didn't come up with that February 28th, I take it. No, this was... No, this is a, this was an annual thematic goal. So we started it a year wow. prior. Um, now or that one was a six month one. So it started six months prior, right? Obviously we didn't have a, an inside, um, you know, knowledge on the, the coming pandemic that was shut down the globe. Sure, sure, sure. 
everybody thought we were crazy. Um, and when I say everybody, everybody within the church world, they're like, you can't do church in your house. That's not a church, <laughs> right? That's not, that's not possible. Um, and sure enough, church at home became mandatory for the globe um, in March of 2020. You know, a lot of it is, um, you know, at the end of the day, all of these things are tools, right? What are our goals? Well, we mm-hmm. take a look and, and everything that we do from a ministry perspective is really founded on extensive research that we've done into the founding fathers of the faith um, and the practices that they use to grow within community. When you take a look at the book of Acts, and we have used those to incorporate all of those faith practices and everything we do, whether that's worship, prayer, communion, scripture, meditation, all of these things. So we may be using mediums that are different than traditionally in the past, right? Buildings and programs, right? Are really the traditions that we are in the near term coming from. It's not what our forefathers used, but um, that's what, what we have used recently within the church, right? And we're saying, hey, you take a look at the way that most of society is digesting um, everything, including community, and they're utilizing technology as the main medium to deliver all of those things. It doesn't mean they're not meeting up in person. That doesn't mean that they're not connecting. It doesn't mean that they don't value um, some of these human necessities that we see all throughout scripture. And then even inherently just in our own lives know to be true in our souls. Um, But we said, Hey, listen, we're not going to be married to a method. We're married to a message. We're married to the message of Jesus and that, and and what he wants to deliver to the globe. We're not married to the delivery mechanisms and methods of the past. And because of that, we started the journey with technology um, a long time ago. I mean, really, it comes into like podcast, right? Um, that was mm-hmm. a, you know, we were early adopters onto the podcast scene and putting Judah's messages up online. Can you give us a time frame roughly when you started that? That was really, so there was an individual named Josh Decker, who was a part of our church community that came to Judah when podcasts were, were you know, first taking off. And this is about a decade ago saying, hey, we got to get you to, you know, put your sermons online. Like, okay. And that just took off. Right. Um, and then that kind of paralleled with Judah putting the Jesus, his book out shortly thereafter. And a lot of changes within our church community, which, you know, we, we ran the mega church model for a very long time. Right. Mm-hmm. At one point we were shipping Judah to, I think it was 13 different locations to preach yeah. sermons every single Sunday. And I know you share a lot around burnout, but that's what we did mm-hmm. to Judah, right? Is we, mm-hmm. we, we burnt him out and he was literally um, in adrenal fatigue and um, realizing, Hey, this model of church, what, what the, the, the blessing of a communicator like Judah is any room he shows up to is going to be full. The curse of a communicator like Judah is any room he shows up to is going to be full. Um, And so we had to realize, hey, it's 2020. Um, We are out here spending millions upon millions of dollars to reach hundreds or thousands of people. At the same time, we were seeing the data come out from Christianity today that 96% of all growth in the church was transfer growth. So it's It's saying, you know, out of a, a hundred new people being reached, quote unquote, right? There's churches sprouting up and day one, they have a thousand people show up. Well, you're not reaching a thousand people that don't know the message of Jesus. What mm-hmm. that data says is that you're reaching 960 people who were at other churches that are now at your church. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. They prefer, you know, our preaching or our music or whatever, right? You're absolutely right. It's consolidation. It's market consolidation. That's all it is. We're literally watching the mission of the church be unfulfilled and feeling like we're still winning because the room is full. Mm-hmm. But really, we're not reaching anybody new. These are majority coming from other churches. So we're watching other churches shrink and die, which has been interesting to see the resurgence of smaller churches post-COVID. 
um, mm-hmm. which has been very, very interesting. Um, and we know that it may feel like we are reaching all of these people, but our statistics are telling us that community connection and like, for example, when we started doing stuff online, we had these different tools where people could post prayers um, or prayer requests. And I would see somebody in the lobby of our church and say, oh, hey, Joe, how are you? Oh, I'm so good, David. Everything's going great. An hour later, I would go see a post for prayer, um, like a request from Joe. Hey, I got diagnosed with, you know, with cancer. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I just saw you an hour ago and you said you were doing great. And so there was something about um, these tools where people felt the ability to um, be more honest and to utilize them as a, you know, as a place to benefit the connection that they were going to have within the community. So it's not an either or, it was a both and. And so for us figuring out, okay, hey, these tools and mechanisms are critical to um, reaching this next generation. They're critical to reaching the current generations, which are changing the ways in which they're interacting with faith communities. Um, you know, there's, there, was, there were so many different elements to it. So we just started this journey knowing that we had a vision that we could be a church that didn't spend millions to reach thousands, but we believe we could spend thousands of dollars to reach millions of people. Hmm. And you, you take a look at every organization that's being successful in the modern day and era, and they aren't spending millions to reach hundreds or thousands. That's not viewed as success. Uh, they flip it upside down. And we were spending millions of dollars to buy brand new buildings, to fill them to the brim, to reach 40 new people. Um, which mind you, those 40 people matter, but we believe Mm -hmm. we could reach a lot more. Wow. So I think I heard you say this is kind of beyond the mega church because you ran that with 13 locations and and you're right. I mean, I've got friends who are preaching 20 Christmas experiences and five weekend services. And like at a certain point you have to go, how long can that last? Like the body damage is, is real. And then you got to come up with a new message all the time too. So as you rethought that heading into 2019, 2020, what was the hoped for, let's spend thousands to reach millions? Can you give us a little bit of the framework that you were setting up to head into, unaware that the world was about to collapse and shut down? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it comes down to when you say online church, it's what do you mean? What what do we mean when we say online church? Totally. Um, right? Because is that just putting a, a message that you're preaching on Sunday to a room, um, recording it and putting it up on YouTube? right? Because some people would define that as online church, um, right? right? And, and if you do, that's that's great. But we took a look at how do we define church? And so we came to Acts chapter two and the apostles doctrine, right? And what was actually happening in the homes? Um, their number was being added to daily. They were having meals together. There was communion. There was prayer. There was generosity. People were sharing their resources. It says that 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 People who were previously in need were no longer in need because people were selling their possessions and sharing with those in need. Um, and a lot of these things were not happening within the mega church model. And so we said, how can we help facilitate this? And where could these types of interactions happen for our church community? Now, at that point, we already had an app that had a couple hundred thousand users where people were starting to do these things. So we took a look at our faith practices and realizing that within not only the extensive research into what the key faith practices are that are the founding fathers of the faith utilized to grow within the book of Acts, but then, you know, there's been research and data around what does it look like for us to actually grow in these practices of our faith? Um, And so 
it, it, let me give you a, a very specific mm-hmm. example, which is my, my children, right? Because we don't live um, in, a, in a place where there, we live in Southern California, but we don't live where there's a, a church building um, close to us where we're going and my kids are att- attending Sunday school um, every single week. And so um, my kids do something called digital church kids parties, which is something that mm-hmm. we do multiple times a week. So they get on a Zoom call and there's some of our kids pastors on there. And there's kids from all over the country that are on these Zoom calls. And so they do, they do game time. It's incredible. And uh, then they get on and there's about a 10 minute message. And then they have, um, call it best friend time after where they discuss the message. And then they do a fun trivia game and, um, and it's over. But they have connection with other kids. They have connection with the message. They are responding in a two-way capacity to what they're learning. And I have seen the growth and development of my five and eight-year-old sons um, just skyrocket through participating Mm. in this type of digital discipleship, which has been crazy. Um, In addition, we have uh, church kids' bedtime stories. And so uh, it's an Amazon Alexa skill. And so, you know, put them in bed. And we started doing this recently. And I'll say, you know, Alexa, play church kids' stories. And it's Damon, who's one of our pastors, and he does a great job. And he takes them through a Bible story. And then they pray every night and the interactions and conversations that I've had with my kids um, around their faith and their growth and their development, which are being paired with these digital tools that are helping them grow in their faith. And then we also, on a monthly basis, we take them to meetups that we have here locally uh, with other kids who are a part of our church. And so they actually have real in-person connection with other kids. We do church in our house. And so we have other friends and family members that come over and their kids love Jesus and go to school with our kids. And so they have all these different touch points to be able to engage in growth and development and community all without doing it within the traditional programs and contexts um, that existed previously, which were, Hey, come to this building on Sunday. Um, we're going to, which is by the way, we are not against. Like, if you take a look at, at our church in Seattle, we still operate right now on a weekly basis out of our Kirkland ba- our Kirkland building, which is great. It's phenomenal. Like I said, it's both and and not either or. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, we're not provided that privilege, and most of our church community is not in a proximity to be able to have an asset like that at their disposal to go show up to on a Sunday. Um, so we want to find ways to connect people who to community who are disconnected. And so, you know, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's it answers it. And, you know, it's funny because I've had those questions about microchurch and hybrid church. And you're right. I think, you know, the difference between a traditional home church is a bunch of disgruntled Christians who gather in a living room unaffiliated, but you're hyper-connected with your church and the church. So where you sit right now in 2023, how many people would attend one of your physical locations versus the number of people who would gather in church at home on a typical week? What what does that look like for you guys right now? Yeah, um, we have, I would say it's about 5% of our church community um, that's gathering on a on a regular basis is, is doing so in buildings. And we still, Holy you know. Cow. And how many buildings do you have right now that you're meeting in post-pandemic? So we, we meet in LA uh, once a month and then we meet weekly in Seattle. Gotcha. But the, that so, Seattle building, you know, obviously post COVID, it was a, it was an interesting story. It was a, it was a big drop off in, in attendance, but um, you know, it's that, that building is now uh, pretty much full again, which is, which is wow. really cool. Um, yeah. Judah was there last week and um, the entire balcony was full. And, but that's the thing is that it's, it's, we're so used to that being the measurement of success. But then when you take a look at the fact that that's 5% or less of our church community, you realize we cannot build a model that's, that is, um, solely focused on that because if we do so, it will take all of our resource, 
We will become non-missional. And what we say we value, where your treasure is, your heart is there also. Um, and and not what's happening in buildings and contexts like that is significant, right? We are not going to forsake the assembling of believers, which is why it continues to be a part of our model. But there's things that happen on a daily, weekly, monthly cadence within our church community that go to fulfill that. And I think a lot of times we make that one assembling of the believers everything, when in reality, that's supposed to be um, a place where we come together to get mutually encouraged, to worship together. And then from there, we go into our communities. That's what we see within the book of Acts, right? They didn't just stay gathered. They dispersed. They went. Um, and so that's really the purpose of those gatherings for us. And we do pop-up ones um, in different regions. So there's there's places that have kind of a critical mass of people who are doing church at home or critical mass of people who are um, connected to our church community, but not connected to each other yet. And so we do pop-up gatherings there and do what we call church home experience. Uh, where we basically do a, a big, large gathering of of individuals to get them connected to community. Hmm. So, yeah, a bunch of questions. So you've pared down the number of physical locations that you meet at across the country. You've reduced your number of traditional services and greatly exploded your ministry and the number of people who are coming to Christ. A couple of questions on the church at home um, statistics and, and, and that phenomena. You know, one of the questions is, well, how do you connect people like that? You've kind of airbnb church, if you want to look at it that way, right? That's what you've done. You use private residences for gathering. Do you structure that the same way you would do small groups with pastors and church staff who equip the people who are meeting church at home? Is that a DIY thing through the app, a bit of both? What does that look like? Well, we do, we definitely resource it. But here's the interesting part is, you know, I'm, it's always an interesting ask is, is how do you define attendance within church home? Um, mm. Because the the vast majority of people who are doing this are DIYing it. Um, right. Yeah. Right. And so the question is, are you going to fight the battle to control? Right. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, why would we do it? If they're not against us, they're for, right. You take a look at Jesus. And, and at the end of the day, if, if, if this is going to further somebody's experience with Jesus, we're not going to go try to control them and tell them, Hey, you have to do it this way. Um, if people want to take our content or any church's content for that matter, put it up in their living room on a Sunday, invite people over and do quote unquote church. Um, that's happening everywhere, whether we want to, you know, be honest or not about it. I mean, that's, that is, a, that is a very significant, and there's also a lot of people who are not, um, engaging in, in church, but they're just digesting the content. Right. Um, so for us, it's, it's a couple things, Carrie, we've actually changed the format of our content to serve a home context. So our weekly service that you'll see digitally is, um, the cadence of it is, is weekly. Um, but the, you know, we're not taking typically the long format content that would be filmed on a traditional Sunday message in a building and just putting that online. So we're filming messages specifically for our weekly service. Um, the hosting moments on the front end and the back end are all purpose to connect people to community. And they're focused on the fact that most of the people doing that are doing that in a home context. Um, so that's number one is we're not just, you know, equipping people and saying, good luck. Join and the sending, stream. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're actually, you know, curating it specifically for the experience. Um, and then, you know, we have a host registration process. We've got, um, you know, the ability to have hosts be verified so that we can actually help promote their groups and help um, support them, resource them. Last year, we did our first ever host gathering and we had, um, gosh, I'm not going to get these stats totally right, but, you know, it was some, somewhere on a hundred hosts came in to Seattle from over 20 different states, six different countries. Um, and all of them had been doing 
church in their home and inviting friends and people and neighbors and coworkers. Um, and it was so cool to be able to pour into them, hear their stories, watch them connect with each other, share about their experiences and doing church in this type of a context. And some of the most incredible, most missional, sacrificial people you have ever met in your entire life. So there's definitely that we absolutely resource people. So people who want to do that have resourcing within pastors and people who are helping them, but hmm. I will never know the number of people who are doing this that we will never know of. And I have the feeling it's a lot more than we realize. From the numbers that you do have that stat, and I think you're right that, you know, you grow a church, pick a number, a hundred, a thousand assemble, but there's four or 40 who are truly unchurched. The rest is just transfer growth. Do you have data now on the church at home movement and how that is changing that statistic, if it is at all changing it so far? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I shared the Christianity Today statistics, and I and I do think yeah. it differs from community to community and also where sure. you do church, right? If you're doing church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's probably going to be a little bit more challenging to find um unchurched people because church is a part of culture, right? Um, yeah. I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas for a season uh, when I was in investment banking. And, you know, that was a the first time I ever lived in the South and in the place that was a, I'm like, man, culture and Christianity um, are are one and the same. And I'd never experienced, I was, a, I'm a West coast kid. So, you know, I did not grow up around that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, the, the, the church at home movement um, and, or model really that we've been utilizing we're still learning so much about it. So I'm almost hesitant to say if it's yeah, succeed, fair. succeeding or not in, in this moment, because I think what we've learned is that really um, church at home provides a great context for people who do love Jesus to gather together, who don't either have access, like I said, to a church community that they feel tied or connected to, um, or maybe they feel like they would identify saying, Hey, I'm a member of church home, even though I don't live in Seattle or Los Angeles or, um, but I, but I want the ability to connect with other church home members in person in, and, and have me supported so that as I go out to my everyday life and interact with the other people in my sphere, I feel like I can come back to a core or a centrifuge of Jesus centered community. Um, yeah. We're seeing actually a lot of success right now in kind of this middle model, which would be um, a third, you know, kind of a, a, a third party neutral site. Um, so we've got par a partnership right now with a bunch of different organizations. One of them is called Parlor Donuts. And we have different either church at home hosts or staff members that are doing um, church in a parlor donuts. And we're seeing a bigger receptivity to somebody stepping into a context that's different than somebody's house. Um talking specifically about those who are yet to say yes to Jesus or um, would consider themselves non-churched, right? Or not a church hmm. person. So um, it's a, it can be a, actually a bigger barrier to entry to, depending on where you're at, it's, it's all cultural, right? So um, what might be cultural in LA might be different from Austin, Texas, might be different from Jackson, Mississippi, might be different from yeah. uh, Boston, right? And so uh -huh. there's not a there's not a blanket statistic. And so you really have to take a look at this and you can't bring a one size fits all because in some contexts, the home is, is, oh, I'll go to a stranger's home, no problem. In other contexts, it'd be like, uh, I'm not going totally weird to your yeah. house to talk about Jesus. That's kind of culty. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Right. Sure. So you know, we're really um, trying to focus in and we're resourcing people, but um, we're not into controlling necessarily um, what's working better. We're eyes wide open right now and trying to assess what's working. Why is it working? Where is it working? Who's coming? Who's not coming? How can we get them coming? So um, we're still very much in the infancy stages, I would say, 
of trying to understand um, what's successful and what we need to do. Well, kudos to you for the experiment. So I want to, as we sort of wind down, think about the church that's more normal sized, that doesn't have thousands of people, that doesn't have the technology to build yet a custom app, et cetera. What advice do you have for them about how to deal with this reality of hybrid church, church online, whatever that means, church in person? Um, because I really applaud your efforts for trying to break the mold and think about it in fresh ways. What, what advice do you have for churches with more normal-sized resources? It's a great question. Before I even say anything, I would just say thank you to them because not all churches are supposed to be the same. Let me just put that out there, right? So I think a lot of times um, what I have seen and witnessed from my perspective is a lot of churches trying to be like a church that they deem successful, when in reality, um, their church being exactly the size it is and reaching exactly who it is might be successful. Sure. So not all not all churches are are supposed to have the same calling, right? We're all parts of the right. same body, but one's a hand, one's a foot, right? One's an arm, one's a leg, one's an eye, one's an ear. Um, and we all need to play our part in the body. So I think a lot of it is discerning your call. But then a lot of it too is once again, it, it depends on where these communities are. You know, if these right. communities are, um, you know, in a place where maybe it is a small community and they're a community church focused on pastoring that localized community. Well, that's amazing. You may not need to utilize technology in the same way that church home is doing it. Um, and that's okay. And that does not diminish the value of your ministry whatsoever. Quite the opposite. Um, it's assessing who is God calling us to reach and what is the best mechanism to do that. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of churches feeling like they need an app, right? Um, I don't, I don't know if every church needs an app to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of times it's basically somebody's website put into an app form, right? It's like, well, we, yeah, yeah. we, we could just go to the website. Um, so I think a lot of it is, um, is why are we doing what we, what we're doing? And I think we have to be honest about the answers that we give to those questions. And so I would say the starting place for me would be, um, man, just be asking God if there's something, uh, somebody you're supposed to reach that you're not reaching right now. And what is the best method or mechanism to do that? I think a lot of it is, um, is no matter where you live is taking a look at this, this generation, pretty much people who are 30 and under, yeah, you are not going to find them, um, utilizing the same mechanisms that, uh, maybe you are, if you're above that age or that your parents did, et cetera, or previous generations did, it's entirely different. And we're still learning so much, but, um, I would just say we cannot be married to the methods that we have traditionally been married to. We have to be open-minded and, and open-handed with what works in the same way that when the printing press came along, Christians were the first to utilize that to, to print Bibles, right? When radio waves opened up, man, preachers started preaching on radio waves. Um, same thing with television. People started utilizing television to tell the gospel. Um, you know, when, you know, when churches first went multi-site and I wasn't a believer, but, but, you know, from what I've heard, a lot of people said, well, you know, how is this even possible? It's not my church. If my pastor's not in the building, well, now multi-site is like, is, is so, uh, not even questioned. It's, it's, it is the model, right? So, um, I, the same thing with technology. I had, I had a friend tell me, you know, you know, 10 years ago, you know, my mom was getting on me for being on Facebook. Like, this is ridiculous. It's a waste of your time. This is such a joke. And now he's not on Facebook and his mom can't get off it. Right. So uh, <laughs> the, the question is, is, is how far behind are we willing to be 
as the church? Uh, mm-hmm. Do we want to be behind? Do we want to be on the, it's not about being sexy or on the cutting edge of what's happening, right? This isn't just so we could say like, look, it's so cool. We're doing this. We're doing that. If it doesn't work, let's not use it. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that can work to reach a lot more people that we're just not willing to risk. And I think the, right. you know, the, the enemy um, of, of, of growth really is comfort. And I think um, we have become much more focused in our church communities, keeping a few people who maybe give a lot of money, um, very happy instead of mm-hmm. saying, what's the mission and mandate that God is calling us to, and how do we cast a vision to the individuals in our church and be willing to bring them in a, in a direction that may not be popular, but it's consistent with the scriptures. And for us, we realized that, um, that we needed to make a change and a shift and we've been doing so it has been, um, popular to a lot of people. It has been very unpopular to a lot of people. And, um, I have heard from everybody, trust me, um, <laughs> and then some. And at the end of the day, um, we, we have to move in the direction God calls us to. We have to. And so whatever direction that is, I, you know, I would say it doesn't need to look the same as us, but um, just, is there anything, is there, we're not willing to leave a stone unturned. Yeah. What are you, uh, final question, what are you learning from Gen Z and millennials when it comes to church at home and, you know, accessing church remotely through the app? What are you learning from them? Hmm. It's a really good question. You know, I think um, I think it, it, it's it's the fact that we have to find ways to deliver, um, like, like I said, these faith practices that have been used for centuries upon centuries, right? Mm-hmm. That um, that Scripture tells us are critical to walking out our faith as a Jesus follower, right? Communion, um, prayer, Scripture, meditation, um, community, meeting with each other. We have to be willing to reshape as the church our definition of what is acceptable and pre- and and how we present um, the sacraments and these key elements of community um, to this next generation, so that in reaching them, we are not shorting them on on this incredible, vibrant, beautiful faith that comes from saying yes and walking out this relationship with Jesus. Uh, but how are we willing to deliver something like communion to Gen Z, right? Um, and, and we've done it through technology and we've gotten heaps of messages in people weeping who are sitting there on the other side of a live message, um, taking any kind of cracker they can find in their house and any kind of juice, whether it's red or not. Right. Um, and doing this in remembrance of Jesus and hearing stories of people weeping on the living room couch, taking communion. That's just beautiful to me. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. And um, it gets me emotional even thinking about it. Um, and for me, I think, you know, a lot of times we don't see it as success because we don't see it. Um, and a lot of what mm-hmm. we we can do with Gen Z and, and the other, you know, millennials and Gen X, it's we're not going to be able to see it. And so can we define success by something other than attendance in a building? Um, can we define it by something other than viewership on a YouTube channel? Can we define it by something other than Instagram clicks? Um, mm-hmm. I think we're willing to do that. And we are, we, we have our metrics and I think we're always constantly refining them because attendance is always the easiest one. Um, Super easy. Yeah. Right. But, but as we know is that it, the attendance does not accompany what I think you and I and other people who are within the ministry are trying to actually accomplish. And so um, the biggest thing I'm learning is the fact that if we're open-minded enough to deliver uh these spiritual practices for growth and development to individuals in a manner that may not look like the previous generations, 
it can be transformatively impactful to them. And God didn't forget about these generations. He didn't. He didn't. Mm. And he's not getting, he's not trying to get them to act like previous generations did as far as the way they did things. Right. Um, this is so classic. I mean, you take a look at even music, right. Modern day, you know, Christian music and, and, and the kickback that a prior generation had against what is now mainstream. Um, and the same thing is happening again, right. With mm. not only music, but delivery mechanisms, we have to do everything that we can to learn from this next generation and to figure out, okay, what does it look like to bring these spiritual practices and community to, to them? And I think technology is going to continue to be the predominant delivery mechanism through which they're going to grow and accept faith practices. David, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Where can people follow you online and where can they find out about Church Home? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, churchhome.org is our website. I'm really excited. We're actually working. We should be relaunching uh, a brand new website. We did a Salesforce deployment. And so what's there right now is, is definitely not um, what will be there in the future. Very much a placeholder, but um, churchhome.org, the Church Home app, is the best mechanism to connect with our faith community without a shadow of a doubt. It's where you can get access to guided prayers every single day. Um, you can get connected to community. You can watch weekly service, so many other great resources there. You can give pastor chats on there so you can talk with a pastor uh, most hours of every single day uh, in real time. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, to follow me, Instagram, David Kroll is my name, K-R-O-L-L. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's that's about it. David, thank you. I've taken a lot of notes and learned so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Carrie. Appreciate it. Man, I love that conversation so much. Talked about it with Judah and Chelsea at dinner, the lead pastors of Church Home. We had dinner a few weeks ago and hope to have them on the show as well. Got to Got to reach out to them and make it happen. Anyway, uh, we are so grateful for our partners. And if you're not going to Atlanta at the end of April, what's up? You got to join us for Rethink Leadership. We have an incredible conference there. Go to rethinkleadership.com. Use the code carry 23 Bring your whole executive leadership team from your church by using the code carry 23 for very special pricing at rethinkleadership.com. Don't miss it. And every church leader knows that your volunteers are critical to great ministry. Head on over to Search HQ to learn how you can help solve the volunteer challenges you're facing by using their all-in-one solution, servehq.church. Well, we also have show notes for this. We uh, link to everything we talk about. You can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 557. Also coming up, well, we got some fun stuff. We've got Caitlin Beatty, Chuck DeGroat, Andy Wood from Saddleback, Ben Higgins from Bachelor fame, Erwin McManus, and how about this? John Lee Dumas coming up on the next episode. So, I started listening to Entrepreneur on Fire a long time ago and uh, finally caught up with John Lee Dumas. And he was part of the inspiration for launching this podcast. Here is an excerpt. The people that win at a high level create the number one solution to a real problem. If you create the number one solution to a real problem, you win. Um, what's changed you've got to be more niche now. Like in 2012, you could launch a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs and succeed, which I did. Mm. Entrepreneurs on Fire launched in 2022, 2023, 2024. That does not win. It's just, it's too vague. It's too broad. There's too much saturation. You need to niche your flipping face off. That's mm. where you win. I love it when we learn from business leaders. That's next time on the podcast. And hey, 
If you are new, welcome. We know that this is free to you, but you pay with your time. And I love the fact that you've listened this far. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review and make sure you subscribe. And if you found this episode helpful, and I'm sure a lot of you do, I hear all the time from people who are sharing it with their teams, etc. The easiest way to share is just hit the arrow button where you're listening and uh, copy the link and send it to some friends, text it, post it to social. And if you do tag me, I'm just Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, see Newhoff on other platforms, and we'll go from there. Hey, it's one of the most common topics that comes up when I'm coaching and training leaders. What is that? Outreach. And most are in search of a solution to make their efforts more effective. The Art of Reaching is my online course that walks you through creating an effective outreach program for your church. It's got principles and strategies that apply in a wide variety of settings. Uh, In fact, I did it with Mark Clark. Mark comes from a very different background than I did. And so we combined our efforts to make it something that would really, really help you. Plus, with Easter just around the corner, we got something brand new, an Easter Outreach Toolkit. When you sign up for the Art of Leadership Academy and access the Art of Reaching, you also get the Easter Outreach Toolkit. You will get a step-by-step outreach and follow-up plan with ready-to-use email templates and invitation card templates, follow-up emails and texts, and a whole lot more template done for you. And you can get three of my best connecting Easter series, including series and message outlines. And I've got one series, transcripts, graphics, everything ready to go. That's the Easter Outreach Toolkit. If you join before March 15th, you will get it as a bonus when you sign up at theartofreachingcourse.com. And remember, members of the Art of Leadership Academy, our premier platform, always have access to every course that we do, the Easter Toolkit and everything else. So go to the Art of Reaching course, make sure you select the Art of Leadership option when you check out and join before March 15th and you will get access to the Easter Outreach Toolkit. Well, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this with you. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership.